Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, the weekly podcast brought to you by Rockman, the running and fitness challenge brand for those with a deep desire to test and further their limits and live a healthier life with fortitude. At Rockman, we provide the challenges, sportswear, content and community to inspire action within you to push your body, strengthen your mind and achieve your next level of health, fitness and well-being. You can sign up free at www.rockman.co.uk. If you'd like to be notified about new podcast releases, then be sure to hit the subscribe button below. And if you take any value from this podcast whatsoever, give me the thumbs up or leave me a review or a comment. Podcasts by nature are very much one way. Um, we, Me and my guest will speak, you listen, but there's nothing coming back, rarely. So in order for me to know which ones are good, which ones are bad, please let me know in the comment section below and it will help me to improve the podcast going forward. I'm Terry Rosman, Rockman founder, and I hope you enjoy Welcome to the Rockman Podcast, Mr. Paul Regan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very good. How are you? I'm I'm very well too. Thank you for asking. Uh, you're you're live now. Don't be nervous. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, so for people that don't know, we, we you're a friend of mine, right? From from years back, you used to play in one of my mates bands. Yeah, would you, singer? Would, would you go as far as a friend, Terry? I'm not sure that's, that's accurate. Oh, lovers, but, um, lovers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we know each other for a long time ago, yeah. But like, I haven't seen you in a few years, but you reached out recently because you watched um, one of our last podcasts with Simon Clark, the founder of Speakeasy uh, Club, and we spoke a lot about mental health and, and, and mental illness and battling depression and anxiety and you reached out because you are full-time you're not you're not you're not full-time singing in the band no more that, no, that, no. you didn't make it big then in japan or anything like that no 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 <laughs> there, there was a brief stint where we made it big in the local kind of pub in the Panath or something yeah but um other than that no no but now you're working as right I, I correct me if i get this wrong a mental health nurse right yeah mental health is my background and uh, i work as a so mental health practitioner in the sort of local NHS. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I thought it was really important that I, because when you reached out, I thought that's fantastic because we had such a, um, a response to that podcast in, in particular. Yeah. Um, I had a fair few messages actually of people reaching out and, um, and the fact that they did that, it means that that podcast worked. I think the, the reasons we are having that conversation um, was to, enable people or make people feel comfortable enough that they can ask for help or they can reach out um and it did that and so i sort of wanted wanted to get you on as sort of like a, a part two to that um conversation it's sort of like well now we're actually talking to um someone that does this for a living for, for a profession so, so we can actually maybe get some answers about how to recognize signs um and maybe look for treatment and maybe prevention as well sort of maintaining healthy well-being and um and all-round well-being-ness um so for, that's why we have to get you on so first off paul this is the least the, probably the easiest question you'll have to answer all day yeah who are you <laughs> and what do you do who are yeah. you and what do you do so i am a a mental health nurse i trained a few years ago now um, been around the block, worked on various sort of wards, been a community nurse. And now I'm sort of settling down into a lovely role where I, um, sort of as a mental health practitioner, where I speak to people all day, every day with mental health difficulties. Um, so we're the kind of service, if you went to your GP and were struggling with something, whether it's stress, anxiety, 
depression, maybe there's other stuff going on. You'd come, you'd probably come through to us and we would give you a bit of an assessment and work out what can we do. And we provide lots of different interventions and one-to-one, do a bit, of, a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy, various groups, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of, that's who I am, um, what I'm doing. Um, I, I you know I've previously been, been a, for a long, well, for a few years now, it was in the, um, in the army reserve as a mental health nurse as well. So spent a few years doing that. And I think just in the sort of vein of your podcast and your message, I'm, I'm very much into endurance sports and ultra running. Not so much recently. I've got a case of plantar fascia. So any listeners can offer any free physio, I'd be very happy. Um, yeah, so that's me. I never knew you were into endurance running. Well, I say I'm into, I, I, I give it a go. Are you, are you, you're not a spectator. You are actually, you do participate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think um, you, if you're ever running on the Vale coastline, you'll probably bump into me at some point. Sitting on a bench, wheezing, or or, yeah. or running, something, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> keeled over, sort of called my partner to pick me up. Yeah, that's... I didn't realize you did. So, what, what what sort of runs have you done? I've done the Vale Vale um, Vale Ultra a couple of times, and I was signed up to um, a few this year, but um, I had to pull out because of an injury, which is a bit annoying. And what um, is I, that? The plantar fascia, fatty, fatty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had, I had a couple of years ago. I was doing some isn't doing some military and stuff. I was doing some sprint training, and uh, I did something, and it's never been the same since. I've done ultramarathon since then, mm. but I mean, it's just kind of flared up again this year, unfortunately. So I'm trying yeah. to stretch, look after it, do my thing and uh, rest. It's a huge pain in the ass. I've had about myself um, this yeah. year, actually, uh, after a challenge I did at the start of Feb. It's so annoying. It's one of those injuries you just have to sit down, rest, not do anything. Yeah. And, like- and you don't know when it's fixed either. You've got to make a, a guess. <laughs> all right, I'll give it a go again and see what happens. And, yeah, uh, and I always think, is it okay? It feels all right. And I do something and I go, no, it's definitely not all right. But, um, yeah. yeah. But so, the- well, please say you've got a physio or you know someone, you can help me out, please. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, there's a few listeners to this. They drop drop Paul a message. <laughs> yeah. Give, give him mates rates, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. So uh, how, how did you end up getting into this mental health uh, area? Like, what, what was the start for you? Why, why did you decide to... Uh... Oh, that's a big, yeah, big question. So a long, I'll try to make a long story short, but um, I was, I, I didn't know anything about mental health, absolutely nothing. And I was in a career, I was managing cafes, thinking I was going to be some sort of business manager for a number of years. And a few life stresses. I lost my brother to cancer uh, in 2010. And I think it's a bit of a wake-up call just to, I was like, what am I doing with my life? I was worrying about Welsh cakes and coffee beans, um, working you know, silly hours for a job that wasn't really that much, not very rewarding. And I left on a whim. I made a really silly decision. I was pretty, pretty stressed out at the time, feeling pretty low and left on a whim. And I just by chance, I ended up becoming a mental health support worker. And I was learning about, I, I remember driving to the interview for this job um, and Googling like, what is schizophrenia? What is depression? Because I didn't have a clue. What was, um, and then a couple of years later, I was trained to be a mental health nurse. And here I am now. So that's, um, it's been a good few years since. Yeah. You did condense that long story. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more to it nice. Yeah, yeah so that's the, the gist of it. How the hell did you end up applying for a job that you essentially knew very little about? And, and how, did you, how did you even get that job then? Just desperate, sheer desperation. Um, I had, you know, I think, I think a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast and a lot of people who, who are interested in mental health can recognize points in life when they think, I had nothing going for me. I didn't know what I was doing. There's a real kind of point in people's lives where you think, I've got two, two roads, either I can just carry on as is and the things are going to fall apart 
uh, I'll lose all my purpose and meaning and other road back, other road back, you can try something. I was kind of at that kind of junction in life and I thought I'll just give it a go. Um, maybe I got the gift of the gab, I don't know, but I got in and that was it. Yeah. So what, how, when did you move on to the, the military then, in the reserves? Well, first year of my course in university, so I was in Cardiff University and we had a talk from some reservists came in and they were talking about these you know, venture challenges and all the kind of all the perks of being in the in the reserve and all the good stuff and all the fun things. And I was like, I am sold. So I just left that room and I signed up and I, you know, did all my basic training and all that stuff. And yeah, I was, I was a corporal in the um, Army Reserve for uh, about five years. How, how does that work then? Because I've looked at it myself, but unfortunately I was over the hill. Old? I was too right. old. Yeah, no, I wanted to do the um, Royal Marines, believe it or not. Like I thought, right, let's, let's go in at... Uh, as high as I, I thought I, I was I could possibly do but yeah. then looking at the tests and and, and trying them on because we actually try some of the tests on the Rockman challenges um, I probably wouldn't have uh, made the grade but uh, what, what sort of work because the reserve is it's only like is it 19 days a year it varies um, it's one of those things where if you can give the time you give it and you will spend a lot of time doing it so it is a huge commitment I was spending sort of 60 days a year whilst working full-time doing things with reserve, doing lots of, um, it took, I was involved in a lot of uh, military competitions, like patrol competitions. Um, what's, a, I was, what's a patrol competition? Yeah, so we're, we were a medical unit. So we, um, it involved being in your section of eight people or so. And you take part in sort of various kind of map reading challenges, um, command tasks, kind of military challenges. Um, when you get to each sort of point, I suppose, but done mm. in, the, yeah, in the military way. So yeah, it was great, great experience. And I've, I've I loved, loved every bit of it. It's taught me a lot about, about life as well. So, What's it taught you? Um, well, it's a tough question, isn't it? Jeez. It is a tough question. Yeah, we're getting deep What's straight away. I, I think it's, um, it's taught me a lot about resilience, just building up that, maybe that kind of stoic mindset of just being seeking, sort of um, seeking wisdom, put, you know, embracing all this, um, embracing, uncertainty embracing these emotions and just cracking on doing something uh, i've met so many amazing people through the military as well people who just have done these amazing incredible things and every time i sort of i'm baffled at how just modest how humble how kind and nice people are um and it's the right with like temperance i think that's kind of word used in stoicism got a lot of that idea just being you know they're not they're not courageous out there in your face they're not kind of reckless people they just they're just really grounded um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a really kind of humbling experience of being in the military, meeting these incredible people, particularly when you're in a medical unit, when you work with these range of medical professionals who everyone in my unit were full-time NHS staff. Um, and they were just like fantastic people in their day job. And then they just jet off to the other side of the world in, you know, in places of humanity in crisis. My unit were in, um, in Afghanistan, got a lot. Um, and they just did these amazing things. It was great. Yeah, almost like a, like a weekend jolly. Yeah. A superhero yeah. on the weekend. And, a, and probably a superhero in midweek as well. That, that, that's it. Just, just not, and I think you realise that um, these amazing people are just normal people as well. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the amazing thing about it. Um, yeah. And it's just the, the quiet, normal people who they just, they work horses, they grind, 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 but they're just doing these amazing jobs at the same time. It's just it's fantastic. So how did, what, what sort of work were you doing then? Because you, you were in as a mental health nurse in the military then. So, yeah, so it, the the essence of it is um, not much mental health nursing because your my day job is my profession, and as long as I'm doing my day job properly, um, 
that any kind of role in the military would be similar. So I wouldn't necessarily do kind of mental health taskings or I fortunately I, I missed out on a lot of opportunities to, to deploy as well. So I kind of missed that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is a shame. Yeah. And so what, what happened after that? Where did you go after the military? Just stayed here. <laughs> Back to my day job. Yeah, cracked on with that. Yeah. Oh right, so I see what you're saying. Because so, it was a reserve thing. It was. Um, oh yeah, yes, yeah, supplementary. Yeah, yeah, income a supplement job. Yeah. So it was a, a long, you know, a long t- alongside my uh, my day job. Ah right, I get it now. Yeah. I get it now. I was getting confused. I was getting confused. Um, so let's talk about mental health then. So this, this and before. Before you talk about, it, you said you got a little disclaimer, haven't you? That you, yeah, you need to I, recite. You've got it written down on your on your palm or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I've got to be just clear. I think if people listen to this, um, this isn't medical advice. This is sort of my my views, my opinion. Um, I do know a little bit about mental health, and I think if anyone's sort of anything is resonating with people, um, if they're struggling with with things, best thing to do is to speak to your GP or whether you've got any sort of mental health professionals involved in in your care, speak to them. Um, but I, I hope maybe this 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 podcast gives people a little bit of information, a little bit, bit more of an insight to mental health, so they can reach out, can get that help and support. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the, these are my opinions, and please reach out to your GP if you need to. So I suppose your um, signpost, are you, are you like you can point people in the right directions. Yeah, yeah. So in the work I do, we assess, we provide treatments, and we do a lot of signposting and recommendations as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So first, what is the difference between mental well-being and mental illness? Mental well-being and mental illness. So I would see mental well-being, and sometimes it's used interchangeably with mental health, I suppose, but you see that as a, as a spectrum um, of optimal performance of your mind and your body together in connecting, connecting with the world. Um, so someone's kind of mental well-being, if it's really good, or they have good well-being, good mental health, their ability to function, to engage, to connect to others, you know, to get things done. So the, the, their mind and body is functioning in an optimal way. Um, so I, I see some mental well-being as, as, a, as a spectrum. So one end, things function really well, and things at the other end of the spectrum, things function poorly. Um, and then at the poor end of the spectrum, that's when things begin to turn into uh, some mental illness, I suppose. Um, I guess in the trade, we'd probably use the word disorder rather than illness. Um, and it becomes disorder when your function is impaired. So we talk a lot about um, functioning in mental health. Um, so from the mild end of functioning, it could be the, your ability to work or to, to, to get up and engage with the day might be impaired. Your ability to, to carry on with hobbies or interests or speak to people could be sort of mildly impaired. And then the far end of that spectrum is so severe impairment where you can't work, where you can't look after yourself, where you may be a risk to yourself through neglect, through self-harm. Um, so I think yeah, mental illness becomes a, a problem or disorder when it's a cluster of symptoms that mean that you can't function. Um, and typically then it comes with a, a diagnostic label, I guess. So to have mental illness, you probably need to you know, reach and have like a, a diagnostic criteria sort of met the class of mental illness. But um, yeah, so mental well-being is a spectrum. And then far into that spectrum, sometimes it can become mental illness. That's, that's how I see things. Mm-hmm. The, the, I think what is well-being is a huge question. There's probably lots of different definitions and ways of explaining it. But I think when it comes to well-being, I would sort of take a 
really kind of big sort of step back, almost a philosophical approach to it, and just appreciate that you know we're human as well. So we're human. We we're completely unique from one another. We've had these crazy experiences. We're we're born in the skin. We've had no choice over things. Some of us have um, you know, all the luck in the world. Some of us are born with good looks, like me. Or, uh, you know, kind of just <laughs> physically well. The, athletic specimens other people what are you laughing for i'm, just, <laughs> I'm trying to be serious here yeah? yeah i know yeah. I'm, I'm spoiling the mood carry on <laughs> yeah so i think so i think when it comes to well-being it's understand that our spectrums are unique to us um so one person's spectrum would look very different to someone else so if, if you know someone who maybe they're just very lucky they've got all that stuff they were born into the right place the right time the right temperament they got you know their athletic prowess they've got the brains they got the look all this stuff their their well-being spectrum is probably very different to someone who maybe has maybe biological um sort of uh, difficult you know difficult maybe this hereditary link to, to mental illness um Maybe they're just born in a really kind of crap place, crap time with just really poor caregivers. That all these things can sometimes change that person's well-being. So I, I guess in essence, there that you know, 100% well-being for one person will be something very different from 100% well-being in another person. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. And it's I interested in what you said then about um, being born in the wrong place, wrong time, you know, wrong location, and how that can affect you. So how much of 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 it is nature versus nurture. Um, <laughs> is it is it your, like is it mainly your environment or yeah, it's the jury's out. I would speak to a lot of different professionals who would say different things. Mm. Um, and I, I guess we don't know. Um, I, I would speak to, to people, and I remember having a conversation with a psychologist about this, um, and they would say, yeah, it's nature is a huge, huge, huge part of this. Um, but I guess we don't know. I guess the point is that you don't know. But you are who you are. You've got what you've got. Um, and there's, whether it's nature or nurture, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It does matter. But like when it comes to thinking about well-being, I think just that, that acceptance of you are who you are. You're here, you're, you're here right now. I think that's a thing I would take away from that. Yeah, I've also found it's interesting what you were saying about how people could ha- seemingly have it all. So you'd to have fantastic well-being you know they've got maybe the great job great kids wife uh very financial stability but you do find those people can break as well and i what have you seen what's your sorry just broke up there me terry hello hello i can hear you yeah so what would uh what's your experiences been like that have you seen people that seemingly have it all struggling and what um yeah massively that it's true I, I guess i wouldn't have an exact statistic but the, the vast majority of people don't the vast majority of people um have lots of things going wrong there's so much stress in people's lives there's so many challenges there's financial difficulties if you just think about the, the stress we have nowadays um it's off the charts mm. we've got we've got social media we've got physical health COVID pandemic just turn on the news all these things together um, and I guess a lot of mental disorders, mental health difficulties don't come out of the blue. These things have often brew in for many, many years. Over the years, people have picked up, you know, not, not intentionally, but very unhelpful ways to deal with their well-being, to manage their well-being, to mask things, to cover things up. So fast forward years, some people can have it, you know, on the face of it, 
all together or have a really brave face, but behind the scenes are really struggling as well. And it's a really it's a hit it's a hidden illness, um, mm. especially when it comes to things like like depression. You know, you, when you hear depression, you, you don't expect. Sometimes you expect to see someone who's who looks really depressed. It's not always the case. It's really hard to sort of to spot to identify. Um, yeah, and when I said it earlier about you know, some people have it all. I guess I was using that as an example. I wasn't being kind of crass and crude, but, um, but yeah, it's it just it happens to a range of people. But generally speaking, it's a thing that's been brewing for a long period of time. That person's been exposed to lots of different stresses, and over time, have picked up really unhealthy ways of dealing with things. That's alcohol, drug, stuff like that. I'd imagine is it. Um, yeah, alcohol, drugs, and I think even just simpler than that, um, food. Yeah, food. Yeah, if, if you take something like, um, take something like like depression, for example, um, there are lots of people have depression. Lots of people have it for different reasons, um, and I think that the, the the reason in our service we often see depression coming in. It's it's not just that typical biological depression. This person is just depressed. It tends to come with other stuff. It's you, people. I, I'd say, I would say personally now, this, it's rare that people are just depressed, okay? Um, it's just a chemical imbalance, say. And most of the time, it's because over time, things start happening. And it typically looks like this. And this, this follows a particular model. Um, and this model is called behavioral activation, which is often an approach used to treat depression. And behavioral activation would say, people get depressed because life happens. Um, challenges happen, trauma happens, loss, bereavement, whatever happens in life, whether it's your genetics, um, all these things go on. And as a result, your life is that little bit less rewarding. And when your life is less rewarding, you feel sad, you feel down, you feel numb, you feel apathetic, um, you just feel in changes. And it might not be obvious straight away, it might be subtle. Then when you, when you feel a bit differently, the way you engage with the world changes. So someone who is um, feeling quite sad, for example, um, you know, it, it's very easy to pick up your phone and just cancel a plan, um, not respond to your friends, go to work, just head down, get the job done, don't engage with colleagues. It's very easy to do those things. And then the, the difficulty with depression, it forms this, this cycle um, that, that has consequences. So you canceling plans, you um, not speaking to people, you're not connecting with other people, you're not engaged with hobbies, has consequences. And that, those consequences feed right back into the start of the cycle. Mm. Um, so then your life becomes more uh, less rewarding again. You feel a little bit worse. And then you feel sad. You feel depressed. You feel down. You're apathetic. You, have, you carry out more behaviors to feed into the cycle and have more consequences. So time and time again, this cycle goes round and round and round um, to the point where you've learned one way of dealing with things and you're not getting out of that easy. Um, I think, and going back to your question earlier about what is mental illness, I would say so mental illness as well is, is when your mental health is to an to a extent where you need help to get out of this cycle, whether that's through you know, getting some counselling, seeing someone, speaking to someone, learning more about mental health. Um, yeah, I know that that's one way of looking at depression. That's the more the behavioral aspect. And then a cognitive therapist would say that, uh, I guess, alongside this process is there's the way you think begins to change. Um, so typically, um, I'm just using depression as an example, people will think in a very, very negative way about themselves. They'll have this very black and white thoughts, those you know, almost typical 
I'm useless, I'm lazy, I'm not good enough. And they will carry these thoughts on their shoulder around them all day behind the scenes. Every decision they're making, it's almost like this little, um, like a little devil on the shoulder, just sort of reminding them. And so whenever they deal with problems in front of them, they, they, they're doing it through the lens, I guess, of not being good enough, being lazy, being useless. And the list of those kind of, those statements and beliefs just go on and on and on. Um, and what happens when you think you're not good enough? Well, yeah, what's, I don't deserve this. Or I, I, what's the point of looking after myself? Um, what's the point of enjoying myself? And it happens then to the extent where your biology changes. The chemicals in your brain begin to change. The way you, the way you think, the way you interact, the, the hobbies, your interests begin to change. Um, you just don't enjoy things as much. And this cycle then just can, can go on and on and on. And I speak to people what happens for years and years and years, and they're caught in this sort of downward spiral. It might not be sudden, um, it might not be a really quick change, but they, they're caught in it. Um, yeah, and, and that's often when people kind of come to us and when we look to them to find ways to, I guess, to break that cycle. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It is it's this exponential sort of cycle. I, I, I can imagine it's, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Down, really. Um, how, how does someone put the brakes on then? I mean, what... What are the signs that they should be looking for? What, uh, what are the emotional signs? What are the physical signs? What are the behavioral signs that they should be looking for to go, right, I need to, I, something needs to. Yeah, I, I think so. it, it, it differs. I, um, I don't mean to sort of split mental health into two camps. There's obviously a lot more to it, but I guess you have on one side that I guess the more depressive related disorders. Um, and the other side is more kind of anxiety based. Obviously they do overlap. And they have a lot of, you know, lots of people have anxiety and depression, don't they? But when it comes to the depression, the, the physical changes, um, again, I've not got a list in front of me, but it, there's, there are lots of changes. And these could be subtle changes. These could be little changes to your, your ability to sleep. So just getting sleep changes it in appetite. Um, some people are depressed. Just they feel, uh, the, the analogy that's often used is like walking through treacle. Everything is just that much physically harder. Um, tired, drained, exhausted, aches and pains. If you've got like an old injury, they'll flare up. All that chronic inflammation, all these things happen physically. Um, so like emotionally, with depression, it could be anything. It could be no feeling at all, being numb, apathy, not caring. And just about the, about the apathy feeling, the amount of colleagues um, I speak to who in these really tough jobs, it's the daily grind of dealing with all these emotions and challenges and difficulties day in, day out. And it gets to the point where people just burn out. People just lose that apathy. They just, they're working with people who are like, and well, and they, obviously they do the job, they do the job great and they do sterling jobs, but they just, they're not connecting with that, that person. They, they don't, not expressing as emotions as they should. And I think it's so easy just to see that as a normal, um, in our lives and it, it's not so if that diagnosis that, that apathy just not caring um so pe people depressed will get more anxious as well that feeling of being stressed on edge that'll happen too so it could be any emotion essentially when it, when it comes to depression um mm -hmm. more irritable more angry and then um so from like a behavioral perspective the, the typical ones are just avoiding things the things you would usually do you know, have you stopped them, whether it's going out with friends, whether it's going for that run, going to the gym, doing those things you would usually enjoy, 
Uh, or if you do do them, you just don't feel very good about it. That happens too. Um, so that, that's, that's the sort of depression spectrum. So lots of different things, but it's just recognizing that I mentioned that, kind of that, that impact on functioning. That's hugely important. Your ability to do things. If you think now, compared to say six months ago, I'm not doing as much. I'm not sort of out as much. I'm not enjoying things as like much as I used to. Um, I can't, I've been a bit irritable lately. At work, I'm getting a bit stressed at work and think sometimes that, that can be a, a little sign saying, ah, stuff's not right. Doesn't mean you're depressed necessarily, but it means the things aren't right. You're clearly under a bit of stress. And just thinking about it then thinking, okay, what can I do now? Can I maybe learn? Can I find out more about what's available in my local area? That kind of thing. Mm. It, it, yeah. Do you know what? It's it's easy to say, isn't it? But when you're in it, it you're it's hard to see that you're in it. Yeah. Because when you're maybe because I you know I've I've had spells where I'm really stressed, really stressed, and um, and it's funny I, I'll I'll push people away, especially my loved ones. I'll be nasty to them. I you know I'll be be mean to them in a way. I don't I don't know why. I don't know why I'm doing it. I sort of it's like you want to push them away, but it's weird because all you want is them to help you. <laughs> it's weird. You're pushing them away even though you want them to help you, and it's. Now I can do it. I can, I can recognize when I'm doing it. But before I, I maybe didn't, and it would go on for longer than it should have. Yeah. But I can recognize now. I can go, right, I'm being a bit moodier. I need a good sleep. I need to clear the decks on some responsibilities or something. But how, yeah. how can people do... How, how can you see it when you're, when you're in it and blind to it? It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and I will speak to people who... Um, I can just think of so many examples now from, of people I speak to. You're in that situation where things are so tough, they almost know what they're gonna do. They they know that they're, they're depressed. They know there's a problem. They can't do anything about it. They're stuck in these really cycles. They're being dominated by these horrible negative emotions, by these horrible thoughts. Um, it's really really hard. Um, and if I could, maybe I'm making assumptions here, but I think one thing I recognise and one thing I would sort of almost hand on heart to say. The people who do better in these situations, and I'm being general, and I'm not, this doesn't need to apply to everyone. The people who do best in these situations are people who've got that support around them. And it doesn't mean people you can talk to about mental health. It means you've got people who've got your back, um, people who, who know, who know you, who can, who can be sort of nasty to, and they, they know you don't mean it kind of thing. The people who, who can really kind of just go, come on, come on, let, let's, let's go for a walk, let's, let's, let's do this. Having those people around you. It's so, so important. Um, yeah, so support is a massive thing. Um, and I, I think as well that a huge part is to, to be interested in our mental health. I think you can't make changes, um, your positive changes in mental health, unless you know what to do. And I think a huge part is just knowing more about how can I manage my well-being? What can I do? Um, and there's so many avenues of learning. And I think just I'm one of those people, I, I listen to about 20 million podcasts. And I've got a huge list of things I haven't listened to yet. Um, but just having that proactive part in learning more about mental health, you know, not, not pop psychology stuff now, not like some guru on Twitter who posts every day, um, but learning about, about you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, learning about how to manage depression, how to manage anxiety, um, how to build that, that, that resilience. Um, mm. So I, th I think, yeah, I think learning and having support around you is a huge thing. Oh, I mean, I, I, mean yeah. I, I could go on and on and on about things, but um. I think that the few things I um, notice as well is that, especially when it comes to well-being, is to speak to so many people who've got so, so many difficulties. And when you 
talk to them about um, you know the typical you know, health promotion. You know, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? Are you looking after yourself? People don't have this, the knowledge or the skills necessary to, to know those things. Um, there are people I speak to, and you know, I just I'm yeah, being really stressed and burned out lately, and I'm you know, I'm really struggling. Things are really tough. Okay. So when was the last time you had a decent night's sleep? Um, two years. You know, I've been sleeping five hours for the last two years, and I. I, I don't kind of, I, I don't, I almost feel this go, well, kind of, that's, that's probably what's going to happen. If you, if you took someone who's very healthy, um, if you took a, say an endurance athlete or an ultra runner and you gave them one month of five, six hours a night, they would be, they, they'd be failing at their, their targets and their kind of training goals at that point. Um, they'd be miserable, stressed, and would be feeling good. Um, and sleep's one of those things where it's, we're in an epidemic of sleep deprivation in our society. Um, so yeah, managing sleep is a huge thing as well. Yeah, but it's tough when you've got kids as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, oh yeah. As we as well. yeah, um, yeah. Talk to me about stress then. Like, because that, that's like a major aspect of uh, mental well-being, right? Oh yeah, stress. I think stress is probably, yeah, it's like public enemy number one when it comes to mental health. Mm. So what is stress? So I think people use the term stress in a interchangeable way with, with like an emotion i'm stressed i'm feeling stressed um you, you know i'm semantics but you, you can say that i suppose but when we talk about stress and mental we're we're referring to a system and that is your your sympathetic nervous system so there's two parts of your um autonomic nervous system so your body has basically two modes one is stress mode one is de-stress mode so de and the stress mode is a sympathetic nervous system i'm not entirely sure why it's called the sympathetic nervous system some sort of latin um and then the other side is the parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system so whenever you're faced with a danger okay and often when we talk about stress we all bring in examples of our ancient hunter-gatherer ancestors to to give people a sense of what it's all about but if you if you um you know imagine one of our ancestors hunting and gathering and out of the bushes jumps out you know, some sort of saber-toothed cat or something um our ancestors would have had the exact same response as we would if we walked into the road and a car came screeching around the corner and was going to hit us. They have that instant release of all these chemicals. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know the exact science behind things, but you get something called acetylcholine, which kind of activates all your muscles and it releases adrenaline that kind of, that, um, kind of selects which muscles do what. So when you're stressed, you get this huge wave of anxiety, dread, fear, you feel really uncomfortable your body just wants to move that's what it, that's that's what stress is it, your body's going to move and with that comes a lot of other functions as well so um when the way it's really complicated where the adrenaline is released into our our body it shuts down some organs and sort of increases the function of other organs so if and what are the typical signs of, of becoming really anxious would be like trembling trembling you know, again, that sort of flushed hot cheeks, sort of feel your heart racing. So your, the adrenaline will actually ramp up your heart rate. Um, it'll increase um, dilation of your, your expansion of your blood vessels. And so more blood goes to your heart, more blood goes to your skin, your muscles, your brain. Um, and it's getting you ready to do something about it, to fight or flight. So yeah, sometimes the stress system is, is referred to as fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So that, that's stress. Um, I will add, sorry, I will add there. And what happens then? So some parts of our body, the blood vessels expand to get more blood. So they, and then other parts of the body, the blood vessels constrict to get less blood. 
So one of the things um, you may have had experience, I certainly have. Um, I think we talked before we started about me being in a band. Um, before a gig, what would happen? I'd take a few too many tri trips to the toilet, okay? That is your blood vessels constricted in your bowels. So people who are anxious, particularly when they're stressed or is persistent, all the kind of IBS type symptoms, they lose their appetite. It's because their stomach's not working. It's not working um, as it should because your body wants to prioritize the organs that are going to get you out of danger, not digesting your last meal. Um, so that in a nutshell is stress. We have the exact same stress response as our ancient ancestors. So rewind thousands of years ago. Every species um, has some sort of stress response. So we share that with the animal kingdom. So that's stress. That's short-term stress. That's acute stress. So acute stress is really short-term. I'm in danger. Get me out of there or let's fight to survive. That, that's, that's, that's what stress is. I just want to jump in there as well because there, there, there are healthy amounts of stress, right? This, it's not an emotion that we need to just stay away from completely. No, yeah. So and there's a lot of science here and a lot of it's quite new to me as well. But um, with, with stress, it the stress release we have, the, the spike in adrenaline, the spike in cortisol, which is the stress hormone, often seems a bad thing. It's not. It's responsible for metabolizing, for using you know, different sources of energy. Um, it kind of helps us emotionally learn things. It's, it plays a huge part. And if you take an endurance athlete, when they're running an ultramarathon, their body's stressed all the way around. Um, under the microscope, they, they, oh, yeah. under the microscope, they look like someone who's you know, running for a lion as, as far as kind of biology is concerned. Um, but they're, they're in control of it. It's a different kind of thing. Um, but then if you had an ultramarathon who just ultramarathon runner who kept running every day across the coast of Wales, for example, um, <laughs> like so. by the end, end so, of that, yeah. yeah, by the end of that, their body's going to be broken and then there's so much stress and the amount of recovery mentally and emotionally from those kind of feats um, must be just, yeah, full on. Um, yeah, so short-term stress is really good for us. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's really, really valuable. Um, it protects us, keeps us safe. And, and I think that the various hormones that are released during stress have so many other functions outside of making us feel not very nice. But when stress becomes a problem is when it starts to, you don't get that recovery. You don't bounce back from a period of stress. Um, and I, you know, people who've, people in a, in a really stressful job, people with sick loved ones or recent bereavements, that, that, that fight or flight response is just turned on a lot of the time all these hormones hanging around for far too long and you don't get that recovery and that's where things begin to give that's when um the stress becomes more chronic more long-term and there's one thing we know in, in sort of mental health is stress kills as well stress will shorten your life it'll have a huge strain on your heart and of your bodily functions there's huge links to cancers to heart disease to diabetes um, to dementia it's it's one it's one thing is and yeah stress kills there was a, a massive seminal study done years ago i can't remember the name of the author they looked at um managers or senior um clerks i think it was somewhere some in some government position or something and then their subordinates and looked at life expectancies and subordinates were vastly um prematurely died compared to their their managers St stress kills um, there, there's, there's so many different studies and statistics around the impact of stress. Um, so we shouldn't be in a long term. I mean, we should not be stressed for long periods of time. It should be something that we have a problem. We get a huge surge of adrenaline and stress. 
we deal with the problem and then we go back to that more that wrestle phase so the that's the the parasympathetic nervous system that's where our body kind of slows down our body digests um we know we can have sex we can engage with people we can enjoy we can learn we can grow that's where we do all that all the goods to that and sleep as well yeah it's it's funny do you know what the 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 time where I realized that mental uh, health and well-being was a serious matter was when I was under immense amounts of stress. I was working for, I suppose, previously, you sort of, you know, maybe a bit naive to it, going, oh, what, you know, what, you can't handle uh, your job or, you know, to people that are suffering, you sort of, you belittle mm-hmm. them a, a bit. But when, when it happens to you, you, you understand it. I was working for an um, international sports brand, won't mention shouldn't don't want to but i was run by a um a really like a really great guy i've got to say that he's he's a good friend and he still is today but he was a terrible manager and he would put immense amounts of stress on me day to day in my in my job um but it wasn't it wasn't just left there it was when i would go home i would still get texts at 8 p.m 10 p.m shouting swearing threatening my job um and this would go on and, and this went on for two years. Uh, you know, at, at first you sort of like, right, I can, you are resilient to it. You can do it. But as they say, excess can never endure. It doesn't matter how tough you are. If you're living in that excess um, area, you will break at some point. And I remember I could, I could see myself getting ill, like mentally ill, like uh, if this continued. Um, I remember having what I think was my first panic attack. <laughs> I, like, I'd never had one before, but it was a, it was a uh, we, I was away with um, the missus. I was taking her away to to propose. Like this was supposed to be a, a fantastic weekend, um, and he texted me, uh, not threatening to sack me, sack me, but alluding to losing my job because there was a typo in an email. And I'm supposed to be on my annual leave here, um, and I remember just feeling this oh, this feeling of overwhelmment and like tunnel vision. It was really weird, and uh, it. But it was in those in that situation where I realized, like, this is real. Like, I understand why people can to the point where they get where maybe they feel worthless, no self, no self value. Um, and, and, and it was from it was one of the reasons why Rockman came about, actually, as well. That and uh, a previous experience where, you know, like challenges helped me get into a, a better state of health. I've covered that story many times in the podcast, um, but it, it, it's just it, it's it's crazy until you're in it, until you realise how it can it can affect you. People perhaps aren't aware of how bad it this really can be. Yeah, d- definitely. I think that I, maybe it's our culture as well. Um, and just think about the modern age we live in. We are under so. I'm not saying our age and ancestors didn't have their problems. They would have felt the exact same same as we do. They would have been worried about their loved ones who weren't very well. They'd be worried about making ends meet by finding the next meal, and they'd have all these life or death decisions to make on a day to day basis. But the times we live in now are so they're so weird. We, we're, we're bizarre. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're we're effectively just upright monkeys with large brains who like making stuff. We we're faced with the globalization of of, of the media. You know that the news just social media it's constant comparing to other people looking how great everyone else is mm-hmm. i just look at instagram it's just i i, it's, I find it quite depressing it's just full of all these young fit people just flashing their body parts um, yeah. like what, what's what's that about um we, 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 live, we do live in this crazy world of so many stresses 
from all different angles. Um, and we're now living with, with, with their chronic health problems are now sort of, um, it is, it, it's growing. Di diabetes and, and heart disease, um, dementias. It, it, it's, so we're surrounded by all these problems, money, houses, um, just the list goes on. And I think we, we, need, we need to find times in these modern, this modern age of taking a step back, stop spending as much time up here, all this overthinking and worrying and trying to find ways to, to deal that in a more effective way. It's hard, isn't it? There's no, there's no hard or fast answer. Um, yeah. it's, and it's, up to, it's down to the individual to, to find what works for them. But it's, and I think one thing that recognizes that people tolerate so much stress for so long, they don't really see it as a problem. Um, and I know people who just, that, the crazy work ethic of just smashing work nonstop all the time. And they just, that, that is almost a, a norm. Mm -hmm. And you know, some people might, that is the norm for them and they, they'll go on to be very successful. That's fine. You know, they do get those exceptions to the rule. But for most people, that relentless strain on the body and the mind, when your life starts getting affected, when your relationships start to you know, um, become affected, and you push loved ones away, you avoid people, your sleep starts going out the window. Something might give, um, and off, often it does. And whether that's a, a severe mental problem, you no, know, there's there's such a big link there with stress and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and depression and anxiety disorder is a huge part. Mm. It's, I mean, Rockman, this was to recognise that um, this this sort of modern civilized world is not what we're designed to. To be or how to act as humans. With so I found from I wanted to offer people an outlet to go out and sort of reconnect with you know you say that that caveman I guess push their limits. Um, this is what we're meant to be doing: be out there running. And um, it, our focus was actually to help people increase their mental resilience. It's sort of like a way of stress relief. It's a way of building confidence and self-belief through achievement, um, but also to improve their mental resilience by being in these control settings where you're experiencing stress, because you know these challenges aren't easy, you're in your discomfort zone. It, it enables you to better deal with the stresses and pressures of everyday life because you're not as shocked when they come. You know, you're, it's like, right, I've, I've experienced this emotion before, I've felt this. Um, maybe th is that what you got from your your endurance uh, challenges and stuff is this yeah massively i was just nodding away there to agree with everything you said um mm. and i think when it comes to sort of mental resilience and mental fortitude and having that ability to take on these challenges it's not for, for most people like me i am not a natural athlete given the choice i will stay in bed all day and play computer games um that's just how i roll um but so i think for a lot of people who are similar to me i, I, I say most people are Mental resilience takes practice. It takes a bit of time. You need to learn it. It's not something that happens overnight. You need to build up that that kind of that inner monologue, that self belief, build that self esteem to be able to go out and do things in all sorts of weather, you know, and, and run miles in, you know, when everyone else is in bed. Um, and for me, a, a, a ultra runner was um, I never run a marathon before. I didn't even I hadn't even done a um, an organised half marathon, and I just was like, oh, okay, let's. Uh, Let's give, let's give ultra run a go. And I, I, I was running on the trails. And I think for me, um, trail running in particular, that just conscious effort of looking at, looking where you're running, 
okay? Making sure you don't fall over. Miles would go by. I'd be like, I didn't even worry about a single thing at that time. I spent the last hour or like, you know, last half hour just making sure I didn't fall over and butt the floor. Um, yeah. And I think just, and put, you know, I, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I used to love running. And I'd, you know, you're probably quite familiar with the Welsh coastline and the, um, especially on the Vale. You look back and you can see this huge stretch of cliffs, cliffs going off into the distance and think, that's why I started over there. Um, you know, an hour ago, what kind of hours ago I was in bed, sort of self-loathing, thinking I was useless. Now I just, I've just run this mass stress of coastline. It's, um, yeah, it's what I found it was a really good experience just to build that confidence and, and that ability to just go, yeah, I can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has that. And I think before, before I joined the military, I was, I think I used to do like circuit training every couple of days and that'd be it. That'd be my, my attempt at sort of building my strength and fitness and doing stuff in the military and just getting pushed and building that resilience and um, really increase my ability to just go, yeah, that's no, I can, I can give that a go. I can, I can challenge myself. I can push myself. I can do those things. Um, so yeah, that, that self-belief, I think for a lot of people doesn't come naturally. It takes practice. It takes effort, perseverance. It's just like a muscle. You train that muscle and you look after that muscle and it'll perform for you when you need to. It's the same with, with the mental resilience, I think. Mm. And it's important for people to note that um, anyone can do this. This this isn't just something reserved for the elite athletes out there. This is the people that have perhaps never set foot off the couch. It's just everything's about perspective. You know, what, what's a challenge to Mo Farah is, is going to be very different to a challenge to what my, to my nan, you know, you know, to my nan, it, it could just be down the block. And I've, people have got to understand is they can do this. They do need, they just need the belief to start but set realistic goals. Um, I, I, I just wanted to get something in because I've been thinking about this recently because like we talk about mental resilience quite a lot. Obviously in Rockman, this is what we're focused on. We want to inspire people to push their limits their uh, mental resilience. But I, I honestly don't believe it's, it's, it's like a chest beating, muscle flexing thing. I am ment- mentally resilient. I truly believe that it's, it's way and reframing and mechanisms and what you do by these challenges is you're you're getting more experience of reframing more experience of looking at problems and issues in different ways and when you when you see it as a mechanism like that anyone can use it It, it's just a method it's not a strength that you can build it's just a mechanism and anyone can learn yeah. Would you agree? <laughs> I, 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 I think yeah. what, what yeah. you sort of said there in a, in a roundabout way was essentially that the ethos of cognitive behavioral therapy, that, that, that ability to sort of put your cards on the table, go, what's going on? Okay. How, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? How am I behaving? And how can I sort of reframe this? How can I change things in order to, so that this is no longer a problem and, and how, what can I do? And it's, yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with everything said there. And um, yeah. Mm. Well, it's important to take action. That, I suppose that's it. People have, once you recognise that something needs to change, the most important thing to do then is to make the change, I guess. Um, I'm being inspired to do that. Uh, yeah. what, about other, what about other coping strategies? What, other than going out and pushing limits, increasing your mental resilience, what other stuff is out there to help? Yeah. So I, I guess probably a bit of a boring answer, really, but I think... Um... And we talked about kind of well-being earlier. Um, and I, I would argue in order to put yourself in the best position to be resilient, to be able to you know, deal with the challenges that life throws at us, 
your, your well-being's got to be pretty good. You've got to look after yourself. And well-being's a, a huge spectrum um, of, of things. But I think simple things, you've got to look after your sleep. Sleep's up there with one of the most important things we can do. If you, if you could bottle sleep up in a pill, um, it would be a wonder drug. You know, just think about a time where you've been, re- it's a traumatic experience where you've been really upset or emotional. Something really, really difficult has come your way. A good night's sleep, you know, six, seven hours later, you will feel a different person. You would have recovered physically. You would have processed those those emotions. You would have grown a little bit in, in, kind of emotionally when you're sleeping. So I think sleep is a huge thing. Um, your food you eat. It, you know, I know everyone has their own sort of diets and everyone has their own sort of intolerances to things and preferences, but eating well, looking after your body, you know, you're built. You are the building blocks of what you eat. Um, and plays a huge part. So sleep, um, eat. I think it's huge, huge things. Alcohol, drugs, these things are important too. Um, alcohol plays a huge part on in our well-being, and um, it ruins sleep. You can have those extra calories. All the kind of the, the the impact of all the kind of the behavior around alcohol can play a huge part as well. So I think the things we can do is look after the small stuff. If you're sleeping all right, if you're kind of eating all right, you know you're not not doing drink and drugs too often. That's a start, I think. It's a really good start. Um, there's obviously more things you can do. But I think when it comes to well-being, is to maximize well-being by doing the simple stuff first. That's I think that's the most important thing. Mm. I, I definitely get it with the sleep one. Um, having kids, <laughs> I realize how important it is. Like you, you, you can be a completely different person. You can be a very highly strong, stressed individual just from just having too little sleep, and then you end up snapping at people. You enter that cycle that you were talking about at the start yeah, yeah. um i want to take you back to the start because obviously you 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 spoke about um you know you you, you lost your brother to cancer and it's almost like that was a a trigger for you or a, a point where you you reflected upon your life and you realized you had no purpose or you you felt you had no purpose um you're worrying about was welsh cakes and coffee beans and there was bigger things going on how important is purpose to you? How important was finding a purpose to you? Oh, uh, massive. I think, I think particularly when we're young, when we're in our late teens, early 20s, we are, this, we are these sort of ego-driven, emotional beings who want, they want, yes, you want status. You want to be doing well. You want all, the, all these pressures. And things. You want to be performing. And, and when, when, I think, as, as I grow older, I can look back and go, well, those, these things don't matter. I'm, I'm getting to an age where I'm getting a bit more sensible. Um, I'm not so um, caught up in those kind of things. But having that sense of purpose is, is huge. It's massive. And I think I can, I can only speak for blokes, I suppose. But when, when those, the sense of purpose wanes, that sense of meaning, that sense of belonging um, isn't there, it ruins that. It, it destroys our self-esteem. It destroys our identity, how we see ourselves, how we can interact and cope with the world. Um, it, it's huge. It's really huge. And I think for a lot of people that that is that, that little, that little trigger, that little kind of change in the life, that loss of purpose can, you know, it can be a cascade of other problems of, you know, just prolonged stress of kind of depression of losing all that, that world, that motivation, that mojo, that drive. It's um, the purpose is, it is it, huge. And, time and time again um 
I think particularly, I'm going to be in general here, but I, th I would, and I'm brushing everyone the same thing, generalization brush here, but um, typically young guys um, see a lot that the lack of purpose can be a huge catalyst for the difficulties. How do you find your purpose? How do I find my purpose? Well, or how, how do you, yeah, how does someone go out and, how do they know what they want? What? I, if, I, if I knew the if I knew the answer to that, I think you could probably I could probably yeah. uh, have my own podcast and take a bit yeah. of soul searching. I'd, I'd yeah. imagine. Yeah, so I, it, it's it's hard. It's it's a hard thing to do. Um, I think having that support around you, um, having those people around you, and when I think when you're well, it's really important to invest in your well-being as well. So if you're feeling it right, making sure you're you're connected with things. Um, I wrote a blog a little while ago and I talked a little bit out there about um, this, that find your tribe. Um, having that sense of community, it's so important. We're, we're human. We are social creatures. That's why we're covering every part of the globe. That's why we've got huge you know, skyscrapers. That's why we've got all this technology. It's because of, we're, we're a social, social species. We learn from each other. We lean on each other. We belong in families and groups, and some of us are introverts, some of us extroverts. It doesn't really matter, but we need—we all need that sense of belonging and purpose. Um, yeah, so I kind of don't know where it's going at the end, but I think that's being part of that—that that, that tribe is, is hugely important. I get that as well, and um, I, again, the generalization brush coming out, but I think it, it's very important for men as yeah. well to to be part of that. Um, and I suppose when we talk about having also a purpose, it's, it's something greater than yourself, isn't it? It's, it's my microphone breaking up on these important, these important bits. It, yeah, it's, it, it's a cause. It's a meaning. It's, it's something bigger than yourself. It's um, how, how are you bettering the world? How are you, you know, what, what benefit are you making? How are you leaving the world in a better place than when you were in it? Yeah, that may, that, that's how I sort of perceive purpose, and that can, that can literally, you, you know, you don't have to go out and or incurable and stuff like that. It could just be in the best father you can to your yeah. children, being the best son you can to your, your parents or your or daughter to your parents. It's being part of your community or you know helping disadvantaged people around you. It's I suppose there's a there's a right a wide scope, but it's how are you bettering the world? What value are you bringing? And I, I yeah. see it, it's, it's not its not how much money you can make. It's not how many fast cars you can accumulate. It, like I've, I've honestly got this through Rockman when I made the decision to make Rockman and it was it came from a genuine place to to help people, to, to actually offer them this outlet, this, this again, tribal, you know, team Rockman, people can believe um, behind this idea of, you know, and this ethos of welcoming the pain, embrace the suffering, taking on struggle consciously in order to, um, you know, without struggle, there is no meaning. Without meaning, there is no purpose. It's given me, um, it's improved my well-being. And, you know, you, you wake up energized every day. So I suppose if people are lacking that, if they see themselves, <laughs> you know, topping up the coffee beans and putting yeah. out the Welsh cakes and thinking, what the hell am I doing? I think that's that's your call there, isn't it, to uh, yeah. reevaluate. And I, I guess that the difficulty is, like the way I'm, I think about it is, if you take someone who is really struggling, how do you instill that sense of purpose? I think that's, 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 the, that's, the, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? How do you take that person who's depressed, who's anxious, 
who has a lack of belief in themselves, um, who maybe not they've not had the best lessons in life. You know, they, you know, some people have these role models who just bestow, you know, just a, a perfect book of how to do things. But a lot of people don't have that. Um, yeah, so I think the question is how is and how do you instill that? Mm. It's, it's tough one. I, I quite, I, I every now and then, um, every couple of months, I, I do review my life. <laughs> got it on paper and I just I ask myself how do I want to live what would make me happy up there yeah and then I work backwards from that and so, uh, yeah a lot, a lot of value based stuff there so look, looking at your values and yeah yeah completely there's there's a, there was a particular um approach and um something that I'm relatively new to it's not not it's quite quite a new approach it's called acceptance commitment therapy um or ACT, so please Google it, have a look at it. And the, the whole ethos um, is learning to find ways to accept things out of your control. Um, there are some things in life that cause so much emotional pain, but they're a problem because they were, we're the ones sort of replaying it, going over it, trying to fix things, trying to solve stuff. Um, and then it's about learning of, about your values. What do you value? How do you commit to those values? What small step can you take towards doing the things you value? Um, and yeah, there's, there's a, a book, um, Happiness Trap, by a guy called Russ Harris. It's a fantastic book, um, and it outlines a lot of this approach. Um, there's a lot there about you know, finding your commit, commit into the things that you value as a person. Because often I, often I find that people, they'll live their life, go about their life, not knowing they're not fulfilling their values. Um, so if a lot of people know, the things we truly value aren't money, they're, they're, they're time, they're people our friends, our family, love, caring. And often we, we go about our day, we act as if those aren't really true. And we, we do things against our values. And sometimes we've got no one there to sort of say, hang on a sec, hang on a sec, Terry, you're, you're doing something there that's completely against what you value. Let's rewind that and change, change your tune. We don't, we don't have that, do we? And we get caught up in the, just the daily grind and all these traps and all these cycles. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just a downward spiral then. Yeah, it, it's interesting what you said about um, all these things are control that, that weigh us down. We're worrying, we're worrying and stressing about all these things that are largely outside of our control. Yeah. But we always say there is one thing you can control, and it's, it's your response to those things. That's the one thing you can control. Um, you can choose whether to pick that weight up or leave it there and move on. Um, for chuck that in yeah i I, th I think you're right i think there's one uh, caveat to that though i think you need to be in a good place you can when that moment crops up um because if you take someone who's who's really i know we, we know we talk about, about anxiety and anxiety disorders something i'm very interested in but um if someone who's kind of really anxious about something they, their thoughts are racing they're feeling awful they're talking themselves out of stuff they're avoiding things all these things going on ahead it's so hard to do the thing they know it's good do you know it's good for you in that moment it's really hard so I think yeah in order to kind of pick up that weight and to make that decision of I'm going to do this thing it's hard but I know it's good for me it's really hard to do and I, I that and that's when like mental illness starts coming in if you can't do that thing that you know it's something you've got to do it's good for you you know I've got to work um, I've got to be able to feed myself I've got to be able to look after myself um, if you kind of fallen short of those things, you know, is, is there something wrong? Or is there something there? And I think that's the time where kind of reaching out to support, whether it's local organizations, um, 
locally to us, we have MIND, you know, your GP. Um, the way services are run throughout the UK is slightly different, but um, yeah, just, just having that awareness with yourself and having that ability just to reach out and just speak to someone about it. It's so valuable in those moments. It's, uh, it's funny you say that because I think the, the hardest thing you can do, and this is honestly the hardest thing you can do, is to make the decision that you, do you, do you want to change. And the easiest thing to do is to continue down the path that you're on. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. It's um, sometimes people are intimidated, the fact that they've, they've got to do something hard and it, they almost put off doing something about it. And they, they stay on this, this uh, conveyor belt down the line to that, the end of that uh, mental well-being spectrum. Yeah, about. yeah, that's right. And there's various ways you can look at it. So in, in sort of cognitive therapy, we'd sort of say like unhelpful thinking stars or thinking habits. So people get caught up in these traps. And it, there's something that we, in psychology called cognitive ease. So that's the idea of your brain just wants to do what's easy. It wants to do what it's used to. Um, on all those neural pathways, particularly with people who are maybe depressed, all these neural pathways in the brain that kind of link all these things. They're really well-worn. It's really easy for the brain to get kind of caught in that trap and just do what you always did, cope how you always coped. They have the same thoughts, the same you know, behaviors and avoidance of things. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's, it's hard, it's hard. Like, like I, and I, I keep going, I keep doing this with my hands um, and I'm someone who works in mental health because these, these, these are real experiences. This is what people go through mm. um, and just, I think when people are at that point where they can't make those changes, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of help out there. And I think reaching out is, is so important. Yeah. How, so how you, you mentioned a few little um, organizations that can, so if someone's listening to this now and perhaps they, they want some more for help, where, where would you send them? Where, how, do, how do they go about getting that? Yeah, I, th I think it's, um, and I would always say having that chat with your, with your GP because the way we experience mental health and there's so many mental health difficulties and problems and there's so many services across the UK completely different. Um, there might be, you know, like a, in England, for example, because we've got the um, um, IAP, so it's the, I can't remember what IAP stands for now, the mind's gone blank, but um, th there's lot of interventions to sort of it's psycho psych psychological approaches. There's, there's lots of stuff out there that you can get kind of courses, um, kind of one-to-one -one work with different problems, different specific anxiety disorders, different presentations and you can have a real kind of bespoke sort of focused um uh, thing for your mental health so i think speaking to your gp is really important because i would want to say go to this organization because you might need something else i think having that chat with a professional first is a good start um, but that said you've got organizations like mind who they've dotted throughout the uk they cover huge areas um they run so many different interventions and courses um, and i think one thing with mind in particular and there are a lot of similar organizations, organizations out there, but with, with the mind, they've got their finger on the pulse. They know what's going on in the local area. Um, and somewhere like where I live, it, it, I, where I live in, it, there's, there's so many schemes and, and um, organizations and projects going on locally. It, it, it's, it's, there's so much out there. I think that that's one thing that I, I've, I've learned over the years is there is so much stuff out there, even if the, this post-COVID world of, um, of cuts and Zoom calls and stuff and waitlists being cancelled. There's a lot of things out there. Um, and it's really just trying to chuck yourself in there and find those things. Um, yeah, so I, I know that's a bit of a bit of cop I'm saying going to your GP. But I think that, that should be one, that should, that should be an option. And, and um, or the, 
or your local sort of mental professional they usually attach to your GP services as well. Mm. Um, Obviously, it's it's confidential. You go to your GP and and uh, place of advice. So yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, and your GP is someone who who's got a finger on the pulse of what what the kind of what services are out there as well, um, and they'll they'll know where to send you. I mean, it might not always work. It might not always be really clear cut, but they'll know. I think actually, yeah, we need to sort of get you to this organisation, and we need to sort of send you this, or we need to send you this mental professional. You know, accessing counselling, accessing these interventions, um, sort of is done through your GP. So like that's that's the sort of first port of call. Yeah. I'm really interested now because you've spoken a lot about psychology and your podcasts and your books. So if perhaps people just want to learn a bit more about how the brain works and that sort of aspect of it what's your advice to them what's your best podcast what's your best book best podcast Oof. It, i don't say the rockman oh. podcast because i know i know that <laughs> i mean i know that's number one but we're you know of course of course yeah um i would um oh there's a couple i really value all in the mind podcast so if you want specific your know, mental health content of the latest science latest news and research all in the mind podcast is great claudia hammond is one of the longest running Jeeves Radio 4 podcasts, um, radio, radio shows, great. Um, if you want something a bit more, you know, a bit more full on, a bit more informative, a bit more science, a bit more um, like protocols, what to do, how to do them, Huberman, Huberman Lab, you don't know, Andrew Huberman, um, you familiar with him, Terry? I, I recognize the name. I probably... Yeah, so Huberman Lab, H U B E R Lab. Um, he's, a, he's a professor from Stanford, I think, and he, he kind of gives all the science behind and and kind of he calls them protocols or how to how to hack things essentially. Um, that's a fantastic resource to, to look at. Um, in Wales, if you think for Welsh listeners, there the um, there's a reading list called a Reading Wealth Mental Health. Um, so it's a kind of Welsh government endorsed reading list of sort of problems and sort of books to read. And so they typically around sort of cognitive behavioural therapy approaches to manage different problems. Um, they, they, there's so much out there in terms of kind of resources and things. Um, I think going to your local health board's primary mental health service, they'll all have their, probably have their own websites and their own lists of resources in your local area. Um, so yeah, our service has one where it kind of has all the kind of local where to get things, you know, um, things you can do. So yeah, I think podcast, there's so, so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, I, mentioned, I keep mentioning sleep. Um, I mentioned a couple of times Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. That's that's a good read. That's on Matthew my, list. Walker, that's Why on we my sleep. list. I've heard it's a good one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. If you have a sleep problem, don't read it um, <laughs> because it will terrify you essentially. And then you won't sleep. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, there's. Um, I think if if you're if you're struggling with sleep and you've got a bit of insomnia going on and it's, things are really difficult. Um, there's a book called Overcoming Insomnia and Sleep Problems by a guy called Colin Espy. He's one of Britain's leading um, sort of sleep therapists. He's a psychologist by background. And he's got this manual of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, really straightforward. It's simple. It's real kind of, you know, do this, this, this. It's really helpful. Got some wicked tips in there. Um, that's a good start if you're really struggling with sleep. But if you're interested in sleep, then yeah, it's all right. Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep is a fantastic book to read. He's also got a good podcast as well. So, yeah. I'm sure he's been on Joe Rogan and Huberman and all these different kind of podcasts as well. So, Huberman, a... yeah, I recognise that name, Huberman. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna have a look. I'll look it up you, myself. You'll be, after you'll, this. you'll be addicted now. You'll be addicted. I'm pretty sure there's a, what, there's a one of his podcasts on mental resilience as well. So you'd be uh, 
I'll send you the link if I find it. So where can be people buy your back catalogue of uh, Zenith uh, songs, Paul, if people um, want to buy it? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure somewhere in a the garage there's a box of ones we never sold. We never I've, sold. Got a, I've got it. I've got <laughs> I was the number one fan. I was the number one fan. Yeah. So where can people find? Uh, where can people follow you? I mean, are, are, do you put out useful information or do, uh, no? No, no, I don't. No, it's something I, I want to start doing. Um, I, I, again, I, I'm not. I mean, yeah, I don't have anything anywhere. But I'm quite <laughs> keen on. I'm quite keen on. Um, yeah, trying to find ways where I can sort of spread the message of mental health and well-being if I can anyway. So. Yeah. Well, you saying you write writing blogs now, right? Well, I wrote a blog. The first experience was a couple of weeks back. Um, not a couple of months back. I just found it a great experience, and I really enjoyed writing it. Um, I'll put I'll put the link to it in the show notes, yeah. so people can look at look at that. Um, and if you ever do get a public where you can where you want to share stuff, let me know, and I'll uh, I'll put it out Fantastic. for people so they can get in touch. Um, thank you very much for that. I I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. That was um, it was actually better than I thought it was. I thought we were going to talk about sort of about the mental well being and nursing and the coping and strategies but the fact that you went into sort of the psychological detail of it i was uh that that's the stuff i love that's the stuff i love so yeah no thank you for your time oh thank you much yeah thoroughly enjoyed it and it's really nice just to, to talk about these things i think and, and together and i think if you can create an environment where people can, can talk about these things freely i think it's so so important um because people don't a lot of people don't have those environments to, to air these things to talk about these things um any way you can do that is, is fantastic yeah. well I, I i would never have this conversation down the pub this like this would not happen like so i i agree with what you're saying like it's it's creating that outlet where people can listen in on uh and getting on the action yeah stuff like that yeah i think yeah just on that just just normalizing human experience of mental health um again i'm, I'm conscious i'm probably going to go into more detail here but just just recognizing that we're human um we are meant to sort of suffer that one thing I've learned now, and I, I can speak to thousands of people in my job, um, is that suffering and being uncomfortable is, that's human, that's normal. Um, and chasing happiness and pleasure and sort of contentness, these things are fleeting. And that is true enough for everyone. That's true for people who are, who are loving life, who are full of well-being, um, full of their mojo and stuff, and they're doing really well. They're happy, they're happy sometimes. The pleasure, the pleasure, they're feeling kind of pleasure sometimes too. Um, that's 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 being human. Yeah, definitely. I, I see the difference in that as well. It's a, there is a difference between sort of pleasures and then true happiness. And uh, I don't think you'll ever find happiness in the the pleasures. You know, the the drinking and the junk food and stuff like that. You you'll you'll ultimately find <laughs> discomfort. Uh, that's what yeah. that's what's at the end of that rainbow. Yeah, but right. anyway, yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Paul. I loved it. Ah, oh, uh, good pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. Catch up soon. I'll I'll come see you at your next gig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 2025 probably. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. See you later. Thank you very Catch much. You. Sorry, bye. Cheers, bye.